All right, hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and joining the podcast today, a familiar name, a familiar person, whenever we can't get a good guest, Aaron White is available. So Aaron, welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. Uh, I'm glad to be here as the B-Squad. It's always a pleasure to fill any gaps you might have. The B squad. This is more like the D list that you're making here. This is like, oh. <laughs> no, did I shoot too high? I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you for always keeping me humble. <laughs> anyway, uh, but Aaron, uh, you're one of the pastors at Redeemer Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Did I say that right? Yes, sir. Redeemer Bible Church in Minnetonka, Minnetonka. Minnesota. Okay, I keep saying that wrong. Minnetonka. Um, Minnetonka. So out in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. Um, where is Minnetonka? Is it, is it, how, how is it in relation to like the Twin Cities? It is about 11 miles west of downtown Minneapolis. And it is most probably well known for Lake Minnetonka. And a lot of the uh, Minnesota Vikings and Twins players have very large homes on Lake Minnetonka. Hmm. Uh, I think Minnetonka moccasins, maybe Tonka trucks, I think. Tonka trucks. I know Tonka trucks. Yeah. But the, also known for our various assortments of hand churned butters. I I, 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 no, I I just made that up. That okay, good. Yeah. So it's good to know you're a pastor just making things up, um, which is really what this book is about. Things that you're <laughs> just, just making up. Um, 100%. But you threw the twins in there, and I can't think of, and you're wearing a twins hat for some reason now. Um, and I can't think of anything the twins have done since like Kirby Puckett. I think it was the last, that's probably the last twins player I could name. Uh, I, Killebrew, Joe Maurer, we could go on, but I just went to a twins game last week with my family and we had the pleasure of seeing Joe Maurer inducted into the hall of fame. And then the twins went on to beat the diamondbacks at that game. 12 to one. It's a glorious night. Wow. We consumed approximately eight pounds of French fries. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was an amazing night. <laughs> See, we've been going to Beloit Skycart games here. That's what my family's now been obsessed with. Mm. My my son is the bat boy. That sounds like a lot of fun. And so, and it's just like a walking distance from our house. Wow. And that yeah. really exhausts my entire knowledge of baseball. Right now. I don't claim any expertise, but I do enjoy going to Twins games downtown. I have a very dear friend who gets good deals on Twins tickets, and it has become a favorite date night with hmm. me and my wife. Well, the only games I've been going to is Skycarp and Little League games for my kids, um, which I'll throw out there. Little Devontae, seven years old, one of my favorite memories this year or any year watching. Uh, he's a seven-year-old. And he hit two home runs this year. And awesome. the first home run, they didn't really know what to do because that doesn't happen at their age. You know, no actual over-the-fence home run. And people are just like, um, okay, just run around the bases, I guess. And so like how's Proud dad moment? Yes. Proud oh. dad moment. Amen. Which leads us to today's topic. Like that segue I did. To, oh, that's a good dad. Um, <laughs> Aaron, your latest book is Miniman Manhood. Minivan Manhood. Sorry. Not Miniman. That that's 
I'll, I'll write that book later. Yeah, we're, we're, we're off to a great start, Kev. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> See, when I start talking about sports, it gets me all messed up because I have no idea what I'm talking about in that. Okay. Minivan manhood, shepherding your kids toward greater joy in Jesus. And I do have to say, of all the books you've written, this is probably the best title that you've come up with. It's so good to hear you say that. <laughs> there were there were a few haters along the way when I proposed the title. I said, just trust me on this minivan manhood title. And we went with it and it it has been a wise choice. So it's good to hear you say that. Well, as a man who drives a minivan, I can appreciate it. And yes, I still I still maintain my manhood despite driving the minivan. We have two minivans, two Kia minivans. Um, but yeah, so you see the, the genius of the minivan manhood. It's just meant to be kind of a, an all encapsulating term, kind of a hyperbole, you know, to say that manhood is not connected to what you drive. That's when you drive a minivan, presumably there are offspring in said minivan. Right. Otherwise it'd just be weird. Right. Although my father-in-law, who's a carpenter, has found that minivans make great work vehicles. But well, if you've got a whole bunch of tools in the back, no one's going to question. Yeah, he took out all the seats out and just puts all of his tools in there. And he can access them. So he he took minivan manhood to a, a level that I cannot. Yes. But this is meant to be an encouragement for for brothers in Christ to drive minivans or at least could drive a minivan because they have been blessed with children however many children um, and the children are blessings. They are opportunities, right. not interruptions. They are not a burden. I'm just trying to push back on the, the cultural waves of, uh, I think I just heard a sermon from a dear friend. who's was talking about dinks, uh, dual income, no kids. Hmm. It's kind of new trends. And so yeah. just want to, just want to push back on that. It's not, this isn't about the quiverful movement. It's not about more kids, more blessings. It's, it's none of that. It's just, encouraging Christian dads um, to shepherd their children well. Well, let's talk about that, because you make a really interesting statement in the introduction, and I've got here, this is the first time you sent me an advanced copy. I've got the media mogul advanced copy here, as I always should. Um, so I, I want to read the, the, these two sentences here, because I think it's really good. Dads embrace that French fry-filled minivan and all the messy responsibility that it represents don't let a selfish and narcissistic culture tempt you to trade the high calling of fatherhood for escapism of prolonged adolescence let's unpack that statement because there's so much right there just in those two statements because when we think about manhood and and i think manhood is um i don't want to say under attack but misunderstood today uh, you've got one side who, 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 you know, they're decrying toxic masculinity and, you know, you need to bring off, bring out your feminine side, all that stuff. And I don't want to go there. But on the other side, you have this uh, masculinity that I think is mistaken for true biblical masculinity. The tough guy, I have to work with power tools as we just kind of joked around and I'm uh, bodybuilding and I'm tearing apart bears with my bare hands or whatever. You know, that that's the type of thing. And then 
you add kids into that. Um, and it's almost like you're, you, you know, trade that in, but in reality, I, I like how you put this. You were trying to avoid the escapism of prolonged adolescence. Talk about that right there. Yeah, I think you're correct. I mean, in any time we we're looking at worldviews and ideologies and, you know, sociocultural phenomenons, it's easy to paint with a broad brush. But on the main, I think that's a fair assessment to say on one extreme, there's a feminized masculinity and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I think Carl Truman's book, um, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self and Strange New World, does a good job of kind of getting underneath some of those trends as to how we are, where we are in that regard. But with any movement, there'll often be a kind of a counter movement. And we're seeing that counter movements uh, with guys like Andrew Tate, who I don't know a lot about, but I know enough of kind of his, you know, what he brings to the table. And like you said, kind of the classic hyper macho on the other side, but biblically, uh, if you look at Masculine Mandate by Richard Phillips, which is a, a wonderful book, it's better than mine. Um, he does a really good job of just going back to Genesis to show that Adam was, you know, created by the Lord and placed into covenant responsibility as the place where true biblical manhood is found. Yeah. You know, the Lord didn't say, be a man and go run around in the wilderness and um, be wild at heart, if I can use kind of a... <laughs> yeah tongue-in-cheek um he put him in covenant responsibility with a wife with a place to worship the lord and serve the lord to produce offspring to be a man within the context of covenant responsibility and so i just want to push back because i have four sons i have five children total one daughter and i want them to enjoy being young um, and i tell them have fun but don't be foolish right and i want to help them become men and come of age to realize that manhood uh, is, is, not, is not found being 23, 24, 25, still addicted to video games and pornography, you know, wanting to go play frisbee golf with your friends when you're almost 30 years old and with yeah. no thought to covenant responsibility because, you know, that's a bad thing. No, it's a very, very good thing. And uh, so I want them to know that biblical manhood is found within the context of covenant responsibility. And it's not something to be put off. It's not something to try to escape by living like you're 16 when you're actually 26. Right. So I'm not saying you should get married the minute you turn 18. Clearly. Although but my me that's how it works. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe for some. Um I certainly don't think there's a lot of wisdom in prolonged engagements right. for a myriad of reasons. But yeah, it's just trying to put our finger on in a very practical way the goodness of biblical manhood, which primarily is defined within the bounds of covenant responsibility, not outside of them. Right. And going all the way back to Genesis, as you, as you mentioned before, it is God's plan that most men, if not, uh, I wouldn't say all men, but obviously it's, it's God's plan for most men to get married and have children, start a family. That's, that's the basic plan for mankind. That's how we continue to perpetuate the, the species, but that's how we 
fulfill that creation mandate, that dominion mandate. We are told to have dominion over all this. And how we do that is through getting married, having children, creating families. Hmm? And it's, it's not to put a number on how many children. It's not certainly right. to rule out adoption. And um, so I'm not getting into the specifics of you need to have as many biological children as you can. I think there's a lot more packed into that dominion mandates in terms of worship and making image bearers right. and you know, not just reproducing as much as you can. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think the main thing is just without being too polemic, I mean, I, did, I don't name a lot of these guys in the book. I don't think I name hardly any, but it's just trying to exalt God's goodness yeah. and biblical manhood, not being on either extreme. Um, that is found in covenant responsibility. Children are a blessing. And then really just trying to spend time in the book offering practical advice and practical counsel. Right. Because as a pastor, I work with a lot of young men. I'm doing a lot of premarital, doing a lot of weddings. It, it, it's a blessing. And a lot of these guys truly love Jesus. They have really good theology. Um, but because they've been saturated in just the waters of the culture and some of them come from broken homes and haven't had good examples. Sure. They've, they've got a lot of questions on practical things. And I don't claim any expertise, but uh, by God's grace, I've seen the gospel's power in my home. And I, I love being a dad. Yeah. Uh, I really love all that being a dad means. Um, so I want them to see that high calling and, and to enjoy it. And, and that's what I appreciate about this book is it, 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 it is a father's heart. And it's it's a shepherding heart. It, it's one that you, you talk a little bit about your childhood. Um, you didn't grow up in the most ideal family situation, and so you're not coming to this with that background. In fact, it, it's almost like this is this is some fatherly advice to new fathers. Fatherly advice. Um, this is learn from me. You know, I've made mistakes, and um, I, I didn't have the greatest background, but going back from scripture and going from some your own experiences, here's some good advice. And so I want to talk about the first one, which I, I literally laughed out loud at because I could see you doing this and I can see you doing it because I've done it. Uh, you, you talk about um, your first attempt at family worship. Let's talk about this audio of family worship. So, um, you know, there's one thing that in our reformed churches that we stress, I think is family worship. And that's great, but you get a guy like you or a guy like me, and you right here. I was a wide-eyed Calvinist who read just enough Puritan literature to be a threat to society. Oh, man, we could stop right there. But why wouldn't I expect my kids to sit through a half-hour lecture on propitiation followed by quiet reflection? Um, you know, I, I, I was there. I've done that. You know, I got out the, uh, the big Baptist catechism. And we are going to memorize this backwards and forwards. And I'm going to give this long exposition of what this means. And we're going to get into all of the great theology of the faith. And, you know, it didn't last five minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. I, I, <laughs> and how, old, how old were your kids at the time? Uh, let's see. They would have been, uh, it was just the two. So that would have been like five and seven. <laughs> yeah i well like i said i wanted the book to be as practical and personal 
as possible. I don't want it to be about me per se, but that was, I think a lot of young, well, not even young guys, but just young dads, whatever age they may be, who do come in with the right intentions, especially, you know, when they have embraced a a very Godward, God-exalting theology. We we want, rightly want, to fold our children into those things, and we want to give them, you know, what we didn't have, which in our case was, for me, I wasn't catechized. Right. In terms of, I mean, whether it was Westminster or... Uh, the 1689 or whatever it, that's not the point the point is a systematic training within the home where words like justification propitiation regeneration biblical words were not systematically unpacked necessarily and so i came in with the right intention um but my children were very young and i just didn't take into account their age their attention span uh their just their bandwidth to to sit quietly <laughs> and a big component of that too is being joyful in it myself right because if, if 20 30 40 minutes in you're just frustrated <laughs> um I, I want to adorn the joy of the gospel and i want them to not only hear my words but i want them to see my face that this is something that daddy really enjoys this is daddy's treasure right um i'm sharing my my treasure with you my joy and so even now with teenagers, my, my children are older. Um, I don't put a time limit on it, but 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to get too dogmatic, especially when every, every family is so different. But I do. I did just want to share that that story because it was a mistake. And I, I needed someone to come alongside and say, hey, brother, right intention. And you will build into those conversations as they grow spiritually and just physically and in mature maturity. But especially when they're young, I don't remember if it was JC Ryle. It may have been JC Ryle who said, just keep family worship brief, Christ centered um, and joyful. Right. So I I'm, I'm a Baptist. So I like to make it all start with the same letter. So right. I'm going to read it. Three points, throw a poem yeah. at the end. Concise, Christ-centered, and compassionate. There you go. That there sounds go. good. Yeah, but little bite-sized pieces that kids understand that, one, I mean, you, you make it a priority. They get that. They understand that. And then give them something that they can walk away with, that they can think about. And that's really all that's necessary. Because, you know, when I hear your family worship or the family altar as, as some – it it conveys, I think, almost a different message where you're going to have a, a little church service right there. Mm-hmm. And that's a daunting to, I think, a lot of, a lot of fathers who, uh, you know, you and I, we, 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 we love to preach. We love to be in the word. Um, this is what we do. That's who we are. Um, not every dad has the theological training um, that, that we've been blessed to have. And I say we, but, I mean, you're working on a doctorate. I'm just here. I get a, I get a master's degree, but uh, looking at a doctorate just exposes how much you don't know. That's how I feel. Well, and we know that you don't know a lot. Well, that's, that could be an entire podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah. That is the one thing I, I I walked away from seminary with. It's like what you know. I walked into seminary this because I'm reformed. I, I felt a, a certain pride that I could quote Sproul and Luther and Ryle and others. 
And then I, I, I walk into a seminary that actually wasn't reformed and realized, wow, there's so much more out there I had no clue about. But anyway, all right. So family worship doesn't have to be a formal church service. It's just something that shows them, that shows kids that there's a priority here. There's something that you need to, to learn about, something that we need to focus on as a family. Uh, you talk about prayer, the importance of prayer. And it's one of those things where we almost kind of assume, now, of course, you should be praying for your kids. Uh, you go into a little more detail than that, but I want to ask you, um, you know, I, and I've heard the stories of, you know, my my kids wake up early and they see me praying or whatever. And for some, there's almost like a badge of, of honor with that. Um, and with others, it's not a badge of honor. It's just the exact opposite. No, I would never want my kids to see me pray. Because doesn't, doesn't scripture tell us that we're supposed to pray in our closet? We don't want anyone to see us. So is, is there a balance there or is there um, a, a bigger point? Sure. I mean, I think everything on balance, because even in that, that passage about prayer kind of panning out to the context, you see something like fasting. Um, there certainly is clearly in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, a call for private fasting uh, to not make it public, to not make it known. It's your reward is being seen by your father and enjoying his presence. Um, but then would that then exclude something like a corporate fast? You know, if a church was yeah. hurting or grieving or praying for awakening in their city or something, I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. So everything, everything on balance, it's not either or, it's both and. And so there's a private prayer life for a dad. But I think it is very, very helpful for them to see you praying. Um, even just at a practical level, I tell my children that you take time to pray today. Um amidst your schoolwork, read your Bible, take time to pray. And in some yeah. sense, they, they, well, what does that look like? Um, so I want them to catch me praying, not all the time, but sometimes just to see that it is a normal rhythm of daddy's life. How does dad do it? Yeah. What does he look like when he prays? I think the disciples were very intrigued to see their master praying and to see him go up alone, uh, but to maybe overhear him and say, Lord, teach us to pray because we've seen you. We, we know, yeah. we know what you're doing. <laughs> well, I think so that's I think the point is that it should be such a regular part of our lives where we're not intentionally trying to get them to catch us, but they can't help but see us because it is part of the regular rhythm of life. Mm -hmm. And praying for them. Yeah. Um, we pray for our children. We should be praying for our children in our proverbial prayer closet on our own. And with our spouses, um, but there's a there's a big blessing for our children to hear us pray for them individually, personally. Right. So sometimes, in with family rhythms, I mean, some weeks are very busy, and other weeks not as much. So sometimes, you know, we do another very good family activity, which is we go out and have food or get a ice cream and go for a walk or something. But we get home later. Yeah, so family worship is truncated or, or doesn't happen in a formal sense of so maybe all we have time for as i'll say everybody gather up and i'll just pray a blessing over them as a group but often if i can i'll take time to pray for them individually and they need to hear you pray for them by name yeah. i just think of a young a young spurgeon one of the things when charles spurgeon was very young before he was converted 
um, at the Methodist church when he was a teenager, when he was a little boy, he would say that one of the most profound things uh, that the Lord used was overhearing his mother pray for him. Hmm. And Eliza Spurgeon, he remembers her praying, Lord, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but he heard her pray for him saying, Lord, I've given my son your truth. If he continues to neglect it, I, his blood's not on my hands. I mean, it was a very sobering prayer. Wow. Probably wasn't the only way she prayed for him, but he said the the earnest pleading of my mother made a big impact in my young soul. Yeah. So I just kind of took my cues from Spurgeon in some sense to say, yes, pray for your children privately, but pray for them where they can hear you or just pray where they can hear you and see you. So it, it's both and. And on the other side of that, I love listening to my kids pray. It, mm -hmm. it fascinates me. I've always said, and maybe this makes me a bad person, and it probably does, but um, I become really interested in my, not that I, this sounds horrible, um, but I become really interested in my kids when they can start to communicate because I love to see what's going through their mind. I love to mm -hmm. see their thought process and how they they meditate on different things. I, I love hearing my kids pray and how they approach God. Um, that's a blessing to me when I mm -hmm. see, you know, some of these things we've been teaching them, they seep in and then they, and it comes out in their prayers. And that's been a, a huge blessing and encouragement to me is to listen to their prayers as well. Especially if you have a, a child who's more quiet. Yeah. Because I have five and some are more verbose and some are more quiet. And the many times in their prayers, often at family worship, you know, I'll have them pray, but they betray a deeper understanding of the gospel and mm -hmm. things that we've discussed than you would assume because they're just kind of naturally, constitutionally, just a quiet person. Right. But when you hear them pray, you realize many times that, like you said, a lot of those truths are sticking. Uh, and I would say the same as a pastor, too, just hearing your people pray, yeah. whether it's on a Sunday morning or at a small group prayer meeting or something, you realize some of the quieter congregants, um, when they pray, betray a, a deep love for Christ, a, a mm. deep understanding of his word, strong command of Bible, strong command of theology. And so it's, it's an opportunity to learn how to shepherd them and to be encouraged as a shepherd. Because sometimes you wonder, is anything getting through? Is this just an exercise in futility? And often in their prayers, you realize, no, it, it certainly isn't. Right. You know, elsewhere in the book, and we're running out of time here. Um, elsewhere in the book, you, you make the point about uh, talking with your kids as opposed to just talking at them. And that's an area where it's, it's easy, man. We want to just preach them and we're looking for opportunities throughout the day, as, as Deuteronomy 6 says. We're looking for opportunities to share spiritual truth and spiritual insight. And we try to organically fit that into the flow of conversation. Um, but sometimes it's good just to shut up and let your kid talk. Mm -hmm. And um, talking with them, it sometimes can be more of a challenge because it's, you know, one of the things that I dread with all with all four of my kids is when they were in kindergarten and they started to learn how to count dad, listen to me count to a hundred. Oh, is there anything more boring than listening to a kid count from one to a hundred? But you know, that's, that's a part of their life and they, <laughs> they, they want to share that with you. 
And so I make it a point when whenever we go through a trip or go on a, a family outing or something, okay, tell me what you did. Or just simply coming home from school, tell me what you learned about. Tell me what happened. What happened at recess? Did you play? And just let them let them talk. And I'm, and I'm hoping when they get older, when they get their, their problems are more complex, they'll, they'll learn, hey, dad is someone you can talk to. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And it, and it is a discipline for us as dads because it, sometimes it, it's easier to lecture. Yeah. But I'm, I'm speaking to a teacher par excellence, <laughs> I might add. But in teaching, at the risk of sounding too pragmatic, most teaching books or, or manuals or research would show that if you really – catechization is teaching. We, we want them to yeah. learn. We want them – not just to regurgitate knowledge, although they do need a, a base of knowledge to operate from, but we want them to master it. We want them to get it in their bloodstream. And that requires multimodal learning. It's not just hearing information. They need to interact with it. They need to ask questions, um, even bringing in activities of different kinds or whatever the case may be. But I think it's a good discipline for us to, to hear them and for them to feel like they're able to talk to dad. And he's not just here to lecture me, but if we really want to teach them even adults to learn better, higher education, learn better um, with a lecture, one-way communication, but a lot of activities, a lot of hands-on, a lot of Q&A and discussion, kind of that guided discovery. And sometimes that comes later when they're older. It's hard to do that with littles, but even with littles, we can still ask questions. Right. And so if I find that I'm lecturing in family worship and I'm starting to lose them, it may not be that they're sinfully bored with the things of God. Uh, it may just be that that's a cue to say, okay, what do you think? Or can you define that word? Or in one or two sentences, tell me what you think I just said. Yeah. And re-engage them. So yeah, the, the book is meant to be practical, but still open and organic enough to say, make it your own. Right. The the aim in scripture that should bind our consciences is dads. My book should not bind consciences. It's not the Bible. But scripture says to nurture your children in the in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's a gardening term. It's more than just information. It's coming alongside, it's shepherding them, it's cultivating them. Right. It's uh having them follow you as you follow Christ, but helping them practically with these things too. And so making it your own, but somewhere between rigid, you know, 30 minute mini church service and really doing nothing at all and just kind of hoping something happens between those two extremes is a joyful organic highly relational but very intentional approach to to parenting children that dads can adopt and just build it into the rhythms of your family yes it's intentional there needs to be forethought uh, but there's been many times where i had a plan but the discussion went a different way and so we just we just pivot because right. they, they want to talk about this and that's a worthwhile thing. We, the child number three had a question about the Trinity, but we were supposed to be talking about Christ's work of redemption, you know, specifically, but this is a good conversation. So we'll pivot on that. Right. Well, yeah. again, the book is minivan manhood shepherding your kid kids toward greater joy in Jesus. And I do hope you pick this up. Aaron, I got to say, of the books that you've you've written, this is probably my favorite so far. So well, I, as long as I, as long as Kevin and the people at the Basic Bible Podcast are happy, then I'm my joy is complete. 
that really should be your your mission in life is to make me happy. So, <laughs> um, so we'll have a link to that. And Aaron, what does this book come out? Uh, August twenty eighth. August twenty eighth. About, about a couple of weeks, it'll be available. It's on pre order right now with Amazon and Shepherd Press. Um, really appreciate my publisher, Shepherd Press. They produce really good material. Uh, so if you go to their website, not just for my book, but uh, a lot of good things on counseling, parenting, marriage. So you can find the pre-order at both those places. There's a promo video, both those places. Yes. Uh, with my family, that was a lot of fun to film. <laughs> but the book itself is fully In the available. minivan. You filmed it in the minivan, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it was a videographer from our church. Does a, a Runs a business here in the Twin Cities. And she just hit it out of the park. And it was a mm. blast. The kids loved it. So, yeah, it's been a really fun project. I pray that it's helpful. Um, it's meant to be very practical and, and first shelf, understandable. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully it's a blessing. I, I believe it will be. So, again, go out and get it. Minivan Manhood will have a link to that. And by the time this show comes out, the, uh, the book will be available. And so we'll make sure we link to that. We'll link to the video as well. And so... Until next week, have a good uh, rest of your week. Don't forget www.basicbiblepodcast.org on social media as well. Check out our Facebook group. Okay, so until next week, have a good rest of your week.